Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the knowledge, in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge our need to hear from you, and so we ask that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying uh, the book of Colossians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches. And in the first chapter of this book, the Apostle stated that it was his goal, his desire, to see every Christian in that church grow personally till they reached the point where, in his words, where they would all be mature in Christ, fully mature in Christ. That's, that's what he wanted. He wanted for Christians to grow in their relationship with God. Now, my guess is that that's probably a desire that you also share for, for your own life. I mean, am, am I right? Who, who of us doesn't want, doesn't want to have a life that's pleasing to God? We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to change into men and women whose lives are more and more like Jesus. The question, of course, the big question is how? How does that happen? How does, how does a person mature as a Christian, mature spiritually? Well, uh, the passage we're looking at today is important because it, it answers that question. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us everything that there is to say about spiritual growth, but, but it does do this. This passage gives us two foundational principles. You, you know how at a construction site, everything is built on the foundation, right? These are two foundational principles upon which all Christian growth is built. Well, you say, what, what are these principles? The first one is this. To grow as a Christian, you need to see who you are in Christ. You need to see who you really are. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, on television, they used to show reruns of this old sitcom called The Munsters. Have any of you seen The Munsters? You know what I'm talking about. It's this, it's this family of monsters. They're all scary, spooky, ghoulish-looking people. They're very friendly, right? They're very nice. But let's face it, they're monsters, all right? And remember on The Munsters, they had, they had a niece who lived with them. And, and she was actually 
there's actually a very attractive young woman. Her name was Marilyn. She was supposed to, I think, look like Marilyn Monroe. And, and the, the running gag on the Munsters was that Marilyn, this attractive young woman, she thought of herself as homely, remember? Because uh, she had grown up around monsters, and they have different standards, I guess, for how you're supposed to look. And so they had always been, they were very nice to her, but they were nice to her and just talked about how plain she was and unattractive she was. And, and so she thought of herself that way. Marilyn had no idea how beautiful she really was. And that, listen, that's the same problem the Colossian Christians were facing. The, uh, the men and women to whom Paul wrote this church, they were Christians in a, in a city called Colossae. They were surrounded by monsters. They were surrounded by false teachers who were, who were constantly telling them that they were not very attractive Christians. There was something wrong with them, something missing from them, that, that God wasn't really pleased with them as, as followers of His sons. They, they were being told through these teachers that in order for them to be acceptable to God, they needed to, you know, follow this rule or that rule or practice this custom or that tradition or, you know, seek after some, some new experience with God. They, they, they were just constantly being told that they weren't beautiful to God, that they were not acceptable to God. I, I wonder if that's ever been communicated to you in some way. Well, well if so, this passage is so important. Paul, Paul was writing to these Christians, and the first thing he's telling them is he wants them to mature. He's saying, guys, I want you to see, I want you to see who you really are. Verses 1 through 4, this is what he writes. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. He says, Christian, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, these verses are pointing to a, a biblical concept that theologians will often call our union with Christ. It, union with Christ is just, this means that anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior, it, they have been united by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. God has given them union with Christ. And that means that in the eyes of God, listen, Christian, in the eyes of God, you are so united with Jesus that from God's point of view, whatever happened to Jesus, spiritually speaking, it happened to you. When, listen, when Jesus died, we died in God's eyes. Our old, the, the old you is gone. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose. We are, we are new people now in the eyes of God. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, in some sense, in the eyes of God, we ascended with him. Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In some sense, in Christ, we, we are seated with Christ in God's presence. I'm, I'm not sure what that means, but it just makes me happy. I'll tell you why, because, all right, in the eyes, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of others, 
you have lots of flaws. So do I. You have lots of flaws, lots of weaknesses, lots of shortcomings. You could put it this way. In the eyes of the world, we are not ready for heaven yet. But Christian, in the eyes of God, listen, in the eyes of God, you are already there. Right? You, through your, listen, through your union with Christ, your, your union with Him is so complete that in, in God's eyes, you are as worthy of heaven right now as Jesus is. Why? Because all your sins, all of them were placed on Christ when he went to the cross and all of his righteousness was imputed to you when you trusted in him. And so right now, in a spiritual sense, man, you're as good as there. You're as good as that. You've been raised with Christ. And Paul is saying, that's who you are. These people who've been told you're not good enough, you're not, you're not acceptable enough, something's missing, something's wrong. Paul is saying to them, don't listen to, these, don't listen to these monsters. Don't listen to these false teachers. He's saying, who you are in Christ, the old you died, a new you lives, and in God's eyes, you are raised with Christ right now. Isn't, isn't that amazing? God, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, by the way, one, one implication of this, this teaching is that this gives great, great comfort to, to, uh, for Christians who have lost loved ones to death who were also believers in Jesus Christ, right? Why, listen, death, death separates us from our loved ones. It separates us physically. It separates us temporarily. It doesn't separate us, not even a second, spiritually. But believers, believers in Christ who live before us, who have died, and believers of, in Christ who are living right now, we're, we're still, all of us right now, seated together in the presence of God, spiritually speaking, in the heavenly realms. There's no separation spiritually. The union that we have with Christ gives us a communion with each other that even death is not strong enough to break. And so that should just give us a, a deep, deep sense of comfort. But the, the point Paul is making to these Christians in Colossae, he's saying, guys, I want you to see, if you're going to grow, if you're going to mature, I want you to see who you really are. And this is important for us, too. A lot of, a lot of uh, people will find their identity by that, I mean they'll find their, their sense of value, their sense of self-worth. A lot of people will find their identity in their accomplishments, your professional career, the things you own. They find that, that's your sense of self-worth. But then, you know, what happens if you fail? What happens if you lose your job? Uh, other people will find their identity in their family, right? But then what happens if, if your marriage or your children, it does, family life doesn't turn out to be what you dreamed? Other people will find their identity in their ethnic background. I wonder if maybe that's why there's so much racism in, in our culture right now. But the Bible says that as Christians, where is our identity? Our identity is in Christ, who we are in Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Our identity is, is in Jesus. So first principle, to grow as a Christian, you just need to see 
You need to see who you are, how beautiful you are in God's eyes. By the, by the way, one implication of, of this teaching is that implicit in this instruction to Christians to see who you are in Jesus, implicit in those instructions is an invitation for anyone who's not a Christian. Maybe, maybe you've never yet really come to place your trust in Christ as your Savior. Everything that Paul is saying here about believers can be true about you today. If you trust in Christ, you, you, if, if you, maybe you've walked into this place today not trusting in Jesus as your Savior, and today you begin to trust Him that way, you will walk out of this building a brand new person today. In the eyes of God, the old you, everything about you that perhaps brought shame or discouragement or, or a sense of frustration, dead in Christ. And you now, a brand new person in Him. That can happen today. So the first principle, to grow as a Christian, you need to see who you are in Christ. The second one, Paul says, is, is to grow as, as a Christian you need to be who you are in Christ. That's, that's the whole point of verses 5 through 10. The point is, the point is for, us, for us to become in our day-to-day -day lives the people who we already are in the eyes of God, right? In, in other words, for us to begin to put into practice that which God has already said is true about us. See, listen, Christian, in the eyes of God, the old, the old you died with Jesus. So verse 5 says... So then put to death whatever remains of the old you, whatever remains of the earthly nature. Don't, don't let it live anymore. Verse 5, put to death what? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8, rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Verse 9, do not lie to each other. He's, Paul's just saying get rid of all that old stuff. Why? Why? Because, well, because you have to try hard to become a new person. No. He said, because you already are a new person. Because that's not you anymore. You're new now in Christ. End, end of verse 9, he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices. That's done when you came to Jesus. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in, in the image of the Creator. If you've come to Christ, the old you is gone. You are new now. And so Paul says, I want you to see this, and then I want, I want you to be this. I want you to start to live like it's true. And so this is important to know. Listen, personal growth for the Christian is not a frantic struggle to, to try to become something you're not. No, listen, for the Christian, personal growth is just living out by faith the person who in Christ you already are. You are new, Paul says. So, so live like it. You see the same thought in other places in the Bible. For example, Romans chapter 6 Romans 6, verse 6 says, Our old self was crucified with Christ. It's done. It happened. Our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 12 says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body 
so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. It's the same idea. See who you are. You died with Christ. Sin is no longer your master. Now be who you are. Live like it. That's something to think about that that, uh, sins or weaknesses or personal frailties that at one time just controlled your life. You were kind of out of control. Now that you've come to Christ, they are not your master anymore. The old, the old you died with Christ. And so if the, old, if the old you comes back around trying to intimidate you or dominate you or kind of pull you back into these old habits, Paul's saying just don't, don't let it do that. Fight back against it. Your, your old earthly nature has no authority anymore to control your life. I was thinking about how would you illustrate that. Let's imagine. Can you use, use your imagination? Imagine with me that for years you have been renting an apartment from the worst landlord in the entire world. Maybe that, that is happening to you, but just imagine that's the way it is. He, this guy is horrible. Your landlord, he never, he never repairs his property. He never gives you enough heat. He's always trying to raise the rent. And if you're ever like even one day late with your rent payment, there he is banging on your door, cursing at you in front of your kids. He is the world's worst landlord. But the problem is you're stuck there. You can't afford to move. You can't afford to move anywhere else. Then one day in the mail, you get a letter from a law firm informing you that a distant relative of yours, you don't even know her, but she has passed away and in her will, she has left you a mansion a beautiful house in, in perfect condition, fully paid for. You're so excited. You, you get out of your lease. You pack up your stuff. You get a truck. You move to this new house. You're so happy, not just to have this home, but finally to be free from this, this, <laughs> this horrible landlord. Then the first of the month rolls around. You hear a knock on the door. You open the door. It's your old landlord. You say, what do you want? He says, I want my rent. You say, but I, 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 I'm out of that lease. I'm not in your apartment anymore. He says, well, then give me the rent on this house. You say, but I own this house. It's not yours. He says, give me my rent anyway. And he looks you in the eye and he says this. I am your landlord. I don't care where you move or where you go. Once your landlord, always your landlord. Once your landlord, always your landlord. You pay me your, the, the rent. Now, let me ask you a question. Show of hands. How many of you would get your checkbook and pay him? I hope not. I hope you would say, sir, get off my lawn. Get out of here. Get off my lawn or I'm calling the cops. You have no right to demand anything from me ever again. And that's what Paul is telling Christians. He's saying, you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in in God. The old you died with Jesus. The real you is who you are in Christ. So he's saying, if the old you ever comes back again, knocking on the door, try, just try demanding the rent, demanding that, that you lose your temper one more time because that's who you are. You're the guy who can't control his anger. Or demanding that you drink too much again because that's who you are. You're the woman who can't stop drinking. 
They're demanding that you look at pornography one more time because that's who you're, you are. You're the guy who can't stop doing that. If, if the old you comes around demanding the rent, tell them to get off your lawn, right? And, you know, and in fact, it's even more extreme than that. Paul says, kill him. Kill him. Put to death whatever belongs to your old nature. Now listen, this does not mean that you do something to hurt yourself, right? What does he mean? He's using a metaphor. He's, he is saying, listen, you're new now. You belong to Jesus now. So you, you have everything you need in Christ to fight back against these old sins. And so he's saying, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to, listen, to put an end to these old things, these old patterns of thinking, these old attitudes of your heart, these old actions, or, or that, that you just don't want that anymore. He's saying, listen, you know who you are? Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of that, right? And, and the, this is actually an astonishing thought when you read on. We'll see next week the passage immediately after this. Paul tells us that we are to be very tolerant, very understanding, very patient, very forgiving with other people when they struggle with sin. But he says when it comes to our own sin, we are to be ruthless. I mean, just take no prisoners. Do whatever we can to put it to death. Why? Because the old nature no longer has the right, Christian, to boss you around. It doesn't. Amen? You are new now. And I think, I hope, that that will encourage you. I, I love the way this was explained. This is from a devotional from Legionnaire Ministries. It says this. Uh, it, it says, if we look at our sanctification, sanctification is just that process of you becoming more and more like Jesus. It says, if we look at sanctification as us making ourselves holy, we will be driven to despair. For how can we make ourselves pure? We don't make ourselves holy. God has made us holy. And we live out that holiness we become, in our experience, experience what we already are in Christ. When temptations come, we are to say, no, no, I am holy and I am in Christ. To sin would not be in line with what God has made me. So how, 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 do, we, how do we grow as Christians? It, listen, it, it, can, it can seem like a very complicated process. It can seem like a, like a discouraging struggle. But Paul is saying before you, before you launch into that process, two foundational principles. These, these are bedrock of, in, in their importance. Christian, you need to see who you are, you, who you really are in Christ. Believer in Christ, God is looking at you right now, smiling, rejoicing, delighting in the beauty of who you are because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. See who you are. And then Paul says, stand up, you know, pull up your socks, throw back your shoulders, lift up your head. Be who you are. You're a new creation. Amen? You pray with me?
Father, I pray that uh, we would be encouraged by this passage. If, if any of us have just felt beaten up by uh, struggles with um, destructive attitudes or destructive actions in our life, I, I pray that, that you would remind us of what you have already done for us in Jesus, that you have set us free and that we stand tall in him. And I pray that you would breathe into us a new conviction and a new confidence to live out that which we already are in him. And I pray for any among us or any listening or watching right now who've not yet come to Christ, that they would hear the gentle voice of your spirit inviting them to Jesus right now, knowing that when they come to you through Christ, they will be welcomed with open arms. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.